Hello there. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. And I've mentioned before that we are re-releasing episodes that we have played in the past. And the reason for that is because I am taking some time to go inward and work on my healing and connection with myself. I've chosen several episodes that are meaningful to me personally and also I think connected to the larger, you know, what the hell is going on right now. And Today, I am re-releasing my episode with Tanya Markool, who some may know on Instagram as the Thug Unicorn. (laughs) And the reason that I am re-releasing this episode right now, I know from a spiritual perspective, you know, the world is really going through a, a transformation and all of the shadows and all of the darkness are coming to light in order so that we can transform and transmute them. And my conversation with Tanya is is really a lot of what that's about. She has a couple books published. At the time that we recorded this, she had just released the She Book, and she has now released the She Book Volume 2. And they're collections of poems, writings, and there's something that's very, very deep inside of me that it's it's almost like the trauma in me sees the trauma in her. And that deep connection is really what resonated for me and made me want to share this episode again at this time. So let me tell you a little bit about Tanya. Tanya Markul's path is one of the poetess, intuitive, and wounded storyteller. An unwanted child, she was raised on barren soil of shame, guilt, and overwhelming self-hatred. From the womb, her inner navigation was tainted from an ancestry of addiction, instability, abuse, and fear. Her journey to self-heal and to become ready to guide others has taken many arduous paths, risks, and harrowing rebirths. So please make sure that you check out Tanya's work, this She Book Volume 1 and Volume 2, and do enjoy my conversation with her as well. Hello, Tanya. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. How are you? Hi. Thank you so much. I'm great, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. OMG. Anyone with unicorn in their name anywhere is already my best friend. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. So I've been following you on Instagram for years, and it's, it's so funny. Like, I don't even think about sometimes Instagram people being people. <laughs> like when it's an account like Thug Unicorn and there weren't any photos for a long time, it was just it was just quotes. I didn't even think about you being an amazing, wonderful, beautiful, fairy-like human. And then I started looking into who was behind Thug Unicorn and I was so excited to see your story cuz I I'm really excited to dig into your story today. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're like, oh, shit. Shit. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and you can start wherever you want, but if you don't mind telling the listeners who you are and what you do, take it wherever you want it to go. Yes. I mean, I guess in my most basic form, I'm a human being (laughs) trying to be one. I'm a mama. I have two boys. One is four years old and his name is Albert Leo. And I have a six-month-old whose name is Arthur Holga. Mm. Yeah, they're so cute, little Viking fairy babies. No. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I call myself a writer and soon to be an officially published writer with um, Andrews McNeil in the States, which is incredible and totally awesome. Mm. And I'm a poet. So I've been writing for most of my life. And Mm. I started writing 
poetry and making books, like when I first knew of books, like mm. I would like scribble lines across the paper and I'd fold it all up and like staple it or like weave, weave it together with yarn. And I would give them to like my aunts and my mm. grandma and grandpa's gifts. And I would tell them it was, you know, a book of, you know, some kind of story I made up in my head or I would call it poetry. Wow. Yeah. And I wrote my first book when I was, I was six years old. Oh. And it was called Little Baby Boohoo. Oh, please tell me you have it somewhere. <laughs> My mom must have it somewhere. Uh. I, actually, I know that she does. It's probably somewhere, you know, in the basement, tucked away in some old, beautiful suitcase. But mm. I'm sure it's there breathing. I can feel its pulse. But yeah, I wrote this book and it was called Little Baby Boohoo. And it was about a baby that cried all the time. And oh. it was about me. The book was about me. And wow. yeah, and, you know, I had teenage parents and they decided that they didn't want to raise me. So mm. I was adopted by my grandparents and, and raised by my grandparents. And the trauma of not having them mm -hmm. in my life was, was very big. And especially for my mother. So mm -hmm. I had this like gaping um, mother wound for my like entire childhood, teenage, you know, years. And then becoming a mother myself mm. also, you know, tears off the bandaid off of these old wounds. And you just see life and yourself and your childhood in a, di in a different way. But I wrote my second book um, when I was like eight. And mm. it was about a princess who was to go into the forest to find a lover, because that's where lovers were in the forest. Mm, of course, <laughs> but, duh. Yeah, of course. But the idea was that the princess would go into the forest, find a lover, and come home. And the princess was my mother. Mm. And I thought that if she would, you know, I used to pray to God and, and you know, pray to the, to the universe that my mom would find somebody, because I thought if she found, like, a man that made her happy, then she would come home to me. Mm. And that never happened. She never found her man and she never came home. <laughs> wow. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit tragic, but um, I've been writing from a really young age and it just was something that came really natural to me. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's funny, as you started talking about your parents, and I, I knew that story of your, your parents giving you up for adoption, mother wound was totally coming to my mind even before you said it. I was like, mother wound, here we go. And I, I so identify with that as well. And I think I think the mother-daughter relationship is the most complicated relationship on the planet. Oh my God. Right? I could not, yes. I, I mean, I could not agree more with you. And I'm actually writing a book right now, like a book book, like a story mm. about justice. It's about the mother wound and like my personal experience with my mother because that experience, that is my Mount Everest in this yeah. life. Like that is the thing for me that completely destroyed me. Like yeah. I knew that I was unwanted in my mother's womb. Mm, you know, I mean, she yeah. was 15 years old and like she had all like the shame mm -hmm. and the guilt and she tried to hide me for, you know, as long as she could for no one to see. And, you know, all the re the resentment that went along with her having a child at such a young age, like I, I was birthed into that. Yeah. You know, I came out with all this stuff and 
on top of that, like it was, it, you know, it was built into my cells and then mm-hmm. she had completely rejected and abandoned me. But it like, it didn't matter for me. And I, I think most of us who are abandoned and, you know, rejected by our mothers, we still love them. We still crave, right. crave. Like we crave yes. them, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not just about approval. It has turned into approval for me. Like Mm-hmm. I'm the queen of like self-sabotaging myself <laughs> because, you know, these are, these are like super old patterns of not feeling worthy, yeah, yeah. not feeling worthy of my beauty, of my art, of my expression, of taking up space, of mm-hmm. like eating healthy, you know, of feeling good, yeah. of feeling really great in my life. So, I mean, it's such a, it's such a huge, huge experience for me. And I know for so many others. And it's not something that we necessarily publicly talk about. Yeah. You know, because it's like this taboo thing. And for me, like I, I never told anybody like how I grew up. Mm. All my friends in high school didn't know, like nobody, I just, nobody just came to my house. Like nobody knew, nobody knew my story. And so, but I, and I was so like insecure And I was so afraid to tell anyone because I didn't want people to judge me. I didn't want Mm -hmm. people to be like, Tanya, that happened to you because you do suck. You know, you are ugly. You are unworthy. You are unlovable, you know, and that's why Mm -hmm. those things happen to you because you're a shitty person, you know? And so I kept it hidden for a really long time, a really long time. (laughs) And yeah. I, I mean, there came a point in my life where I couldn't run from it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I completely, that is my baby. Should I just Aww. go grab him? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, cool. We're is, back. Is he going to join us now? He's going to join us. So Yay. we might hear some cute little, cute little sounds in the background. Oh, that won't be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> cute little baby coos. Yeah, or little screams, or little grunts. How everybody's feeling? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you were talking so, about yeah. Go ahead. We? You hadn't shared for a really long time. Yes. Yes. So I mean, there's more. There's more to my story than just the mother wound. But I was, mm-hmm. you know, my grandparents um, both. They both passed away. One passed away when I was ten, and the other passed away when I was fourteen, which is mm. insanely traumatic. And I was kind of handed around to a few family members that didn't really want me, but took me in because I had nowhere else to go. And most of my family has suffered. I mean, a majority, my aunts and uncles have um, unfortunately, you know, gone through a period of alcoholism Mm -hmm. or drug abuse. And, you know, we come from like a super low income background, Mm -hmm. like fear of, you know, not being able to make it, fear of not being able to pay the bills, instability, mm-hmm. um, addiction, shame, like all of it. My mother abandoning me on top of, you know, having this just really not a steady or strong foundation, like yeah. to hold me. I had to grow up really fast. Yep. You know, I knew that in a way that I was the only one who was really you know, looking out for me. And I also knew mm-hmm. how like kind of helpless you are as a child, mm-hmm. you know, it's really, 
it's really a deep surrendering into your situation and kind of waiting and praying Mm -hmm. and just trying to do the best that you can until you know you can get out of there. Yeah. You know, really, it's really hard. So I didn't tell anybody my struggle until, you know, I was probably, I started opening up when I was close to 30 and I was having this, I, I came to Europe. And I put like the giant, you know, salty Atlantic Ocean between myself yeah. and the toxicity of my roots, ultimately because I needed to heal. Like at the time, I was just taking a job overseas and mm. was excited, you know, to go and do that. But um, like spiritually, like my path was leading me here to heal. Mm-hmm. And there came a time where I just started having the most horrible anxiety attacks. Mm. Like I would be sitting at work and the room would get like super dizzy or I couldn't breathe. You know, I would feel like I was seeing stars um, Mm. and had to go sit down and like really wait until I could move again. Um, And at the same time, I was having these like, I think they're called night frights. Hmm. when you kind of fall asleep and like soon after you fall asleep, you have like a very intense um, panic attack. Mm. And I was having those. And that, I mean, that was the worst feeling. Like anybody who has experienced that, like I feel you so much because it is really scary. Um, And before I like knew what was happening, I even took myself one night to, um, I lived across the street from a hospital and I even walked over at like one o'clock in the morning because I thought, something was like seriously wrong with me. Hmm. You know, I didn't realize that I was, that I was really being hit hard with my anxiety. Yeah. So, and that's when like, you know, a fork in the road opens up and I was like, what the F am I doing (laughs) in my life? Like, who the hell am I? Who do I think I am? Mm. I was so full of like resentment for my family, for my story. I was like egotistical as hell. I thought like I was so, um, what's the word for it? I felt like I I was so entitled. Yeah. You know, I felt like the world owed me something better, Mm -hmm. you know? And at the same time, I also was, I had a subtle awareness to myself. You know, I knew that I wanted to be, of service Mm -hmm. to the world and like, or my community or my close group of friends. Like I just knew that I had something else to offer, Mm. even though it was like a tiny little candle in this like humongous, you know, pitch dark black like place that I was in. I still, I still felt it. So, but I, I had stopped writing after my, my grandparents died. It was Hmm. too much for me. It was like, you know, writing is a very alchemical process. It's like a, a mirror. Mm-hmm. It's like a truth detector. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like the bullshit alarm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's so therapeutic. And I, from a young age, like it was helping me and like really speaking to like the more soulful aspects of myself. But I stopped because I for a period of my life in my teenage years, I could not feel anymore. Like it was mm-hmm. more like a yeah. survival. Like you know, it's mechanism. too much, right? Yeah. 
yeah, it was mm-hmm. way too much. Mm-hmm. And like, I was suicidal. Nobody knew that. Mm-hmm. I was like extremely depressed when I was in high school. Nobody knew that. I like became another person because I thought that yeah. the person I was like, nobody wanted me. Yeah. So instead of like following what I wanted to do, which was I wanted to be like a band, like nerd, you know, oh, I yeah. love yeah, I loved being in band and like, I wanted to take art classes and, you know, I wanted to be, um, just more subtle and like, I wanted to be like that weird artistic girl, you know? <laughs> and instead of doing that, I like basically stuffed her in a closet and like locked the door with 25 mm. locks and pulled the curtain over it. So nobody knew she was there. And I like became a cheerleader. Wow. Completely in the opposite direction. I mean, that that girl was in me. You know, I love to be enthusiastic. I love to make people smile. You know, I love to dance and move my body. But it was more of like my suit of armor. Right. So no one could detect who I really was. I was like this wallflower pretending to be the biggest extrovert, you know, and Mm. like people saw me as this little happy, you know, fairy girl and Mm -hmm. they never suspected anything. You know, I pulled off the most amazing facade ever. You know, I was voted like Miss Congeniality, which like that's hilarious to me. Like if anybody knew what I was thinking about myself or like how I felt, they would be like, you know, WTF, WTF. Right. But, um, yeah. So life is funny. Yeah. There's so much in your story that I relate to that just, it, it kind of manifested in, in different ways for me. Cause the mother wound, I feel like I had the exact opposite experience. I was so wanted that my mother put all of her projections onto me and oh. I always felt like I was wrong and I didn't know why. Because being me was not really what was desired. I was supposed to be my mom, uh, a better version of her. And that manifested in very similar, you know, feelings of I was always trying to just feel okay, chronically suicidal. I didn't really know until like looking back, I actually just read some journals from like my early 20s and from high school. And I just I wanted to die all the time. And I didn't I didn't really know why, but it's this feeling of of not being right in your own skin and whether it's, you know, on the, on this vast spectrum of being unwanted or too wanted. It's so interesting that, that the same thing can come out from that. Definitely. I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. Seriously. Yeah. Like, it's so powerful. I, I got the goosebumps because... I mean, when we just share in this way, mm-hmm. it is like, it is so medicinal. Yes. It, it is really so powerful. And there was something in there that, you know, you were saying like how you didn't, you didn't know these things, right? you know, and like, this is something that I'm, I'm really diving into now and like really examining myself with the language and like understanding the language of my emotions, mm. you know, and especially for anybody, but for children, for teenagers, through the cycle of adulthood, we don't, I mean, we speak a common language, we speak another nonverbal language, and then we have this like emotional language that it's so individual, and it's so personal. Mm -hmm. And 
it's something that requires vulnerability and honesty, you know, and like, Mm -hmm. these are the subtleties like we pick up as humans, but we are so emotionally illiterate. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. You know, (laughs) and, and we're illiterate Mm -hmm. because we don't have the experience of love. Exactly. You know, and so I, and I'm saying this from my own personal experience, like it has been really hard for me to talk about how I feel because when your vocabulary is limited mm-hmm. to rejection, to abandonment, to you're not good enough, you know, you develop these self-limiting beliefs and mm-hmm. you don't develop the language of your whole self. You're kind of stuck in one um, aspect of, of who you are. And, and I really mm-hmm. think that one you know, there are many ways to, to learn that language of yourself. You know, you can write, mm-hmm. you can tell your story. And, you know, something that's so important for me is to like use my imagination, mm. right? To imagine like the possibility of what feels impossible. Yeah. And imagining like what is on the other side of my pain, you know, mm-hmm, what is, mm-hmm. what is beneath these traumatic stories, you know, mm-hmm. and am I able to imagine that something else could exist like a different world inside of me so that I can live in the external world that I really want to live in, mm-hmm. you know, and like, yeah, I could, I could go on and on about, about it. I love it though, but it's, it's really something that, you know, I'm watching myself as closely as I can and watching how my actions deliver my mm-hmm. emotions and like yeah how my inner dialogue is comprehending how i feel you know is this an mm-hmm. old de- default definition or is it something that is is truthful yeah there's so much i want to respond to in there where am i going to go <laughs> Well, when you mentioned, you know, sharing our stories together, I think that that's a piece that can help us create more of a common language with emotion. Because I, like you said, everyone's, everyone's emotional language is very different. It's very subjective. And that's one of the interesting things I found on the podcast. You know, when you ask the same questions over and over, just hearing how people take different words in different contexts Part of that is what separates us, right? Because, you know, the word healer for me is powerful and exciting and magical and mystical. And for some people, it's scary and dominating and something to run away from. And I want us to be able to, not that we have to all believe that things mean the same thing, but be able to just share a common energy around certain language, especially Mm -hmm. emotional language, um, because that's what's going to connect us, which is then what's going to heal us, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing, you know, you were talking about kind of like finding what's on the other side of the darkness. I I have the she book right in front of me. And I got to tell you, I read it when I was in a really dark place a couple months ago. And Mm -hmm. I love that that's exactly what a lot of the poems are in here is Mm -hmm. essentially finding the beauty in the pain. Yeah, definitely. The ecstasy within the ache. Yeah. Yeah. And that I I saw A Star is Born last night. Is that in Denmark yet? Oh, my God. I want to see that. Yeah. I want to see that so bad. Lady Gaga, Bradley Cooper. It's Oh, is it good? It's so amazing and it's so painful. I feel like there's a there's a darkness in me, but it's not bad. It's beautiful and that darkness kind of wants to connect with other other people, other things and it brought that part of me out last night and it was 
this beautiful ache that I had inside and I didn't know what to do with it because that's when I would like, you know, I would drink or I would use sex inappropriately or, you know, other things that I've done in the past. And I didn't want to do that with it. I just wanted to be with it. And it's so hard to describe. But I when I read your book, I was like, oh, you have that darkness, too. You know what that is. (laughs) Yes, totally. The womb of the darkness. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Well, that's the title of the episode, The Womb of the Darkness. Done. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I love I love everything you saying that you're saying. I know um for me, the word healer, I'm not I'm not completely sure what that means. You mm-hmm. know, someone who heals. I'm not sure that I even necessarily qualify to call myself that, you know, Mm. but what I do know is that my experience sharing my poetry, you know, my prose, my quotes, my story, that it has connected me to an amazing group of people, like not even a group, an amazing like band Mm -hmm. of people around the world who by reading what I've written, have found some spark of empowerment within themselves. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't really make me the healer. I'm just really wanting to live what I feel I should be doing. And I feel mm-hmm. that my calling is to share my story so that others yeah. can perhaps see that there's an- another way out of this. You know, Mm -hmm. that they're not like condemned to a life of shame and guilt and self-hatred and, you know, that they can reclaim their creativity and their imagination and their power and that their story is is what connects them to a world that wants to heal, a world that wants to be different and a world that sees you know, you as a part of a community and has dreams and aspirations, but also want to see you achieve, you know, your dreams and aspirations. Mm -hmm. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And as you were talking, I was just thinking, you know, there, I feel like there's a lot of people sharing their story right now and that kind of being the impetus behind it. And this idea of, I share my story, Other people relate to this and can connect to this. And there's also, I don't want to use the term false prophets, but I do feel like, you know, there there are people out there like you really sharing your story from from an empowered place, from a place of real desire to heal oneself and help other people along those paths. But then I also feel like there's this kind of Instagram fame situation happening where people are really putting themselves out there in order to like get famous and and to be in front of people and and that's not bad but it can be misleading and i'm just i guess i'm just trying to think on my spectrum of of where humans exist and the dark and the light what we do with that i don't know i just said a lot of things that probably don't make any sense and i hear arthur <laughs> going crazy over there so <laughs> yeah i mean I feel like we're all having our own experience, maybe too mm-hmm. much sometimes to where, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we think the world, you know, revolves around us and mm-hmm. we don't see actually how much of an impact we are 
making on the world or how much of an impact we could be making. And I think when you come across, you know, people that you may feel are not being authentic or maybe have a, a different agenda, you know, maybe your gut is right about that. Or maybe it's triggering something, you know, maybe not even triggering, but waking something up in you that mm-hmm. has had a long, hard sleep. Yeah. You know, because it doesn't always feel good to be woken up. Right, right. You know, when you're in a deep slumber. And even if that's... <laughs> And Arthur's telling us that right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I hope you can hear me okay. I can. It's, it's so cute. Podcast. I know. I love it. I love it too. Oh, the baby sneezes are the cutest. <laughs> that was so cute. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. I just had a cute gasm. Oh, I love it. I love it. I think when we're being triggered, I really think that it is because whether it's like injustice or mm-hmm. in reality, it's like crazy inspiration. I think that it is waking a part of us up that has been asleep for too long and Mm -hmm. it's like grouchy as it's waking up and a little pissed off even but I think if you can sit with that you can understand like what is it what is happening in myself to make me feel this certain way yeah you know and I mean if it's just someone you don't have chemistry with or you just don't vibe with their message then you just move on Mm -hmm. you know don't Mm -hmm. Don't let it linger and just focus on what you want to be doing. And like, Mm -hmm. because I have spent a lot of time there and that's why I'm saying I'm like, preaching. oh, okay, Hey, yeah, exactly. I'm preaching a little bit because I know that feeling of feeling insecure. Like Mm -hmm. I was an extremely insecure teenager, even though I hit it all. I was so insecure into my 20s. Like I'm still insecure. It's something Mm -hmm. that always going to be aware of and like battling in one way or another, you know, and you have to be so careful because that is powerful. That's a powerful, powerful energy that you're playing with as well, you know, and if you believe in the, you know, equation that what you put out there is what you give back. It can be true in a lot of instances, I think, if we reflect on our lives. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I've spent a lot of time getting jealous or being judgy. That's, just, that's mine. <laughs> Judgment. Right? That's my like, safe yeah, space. <laughs> super, yeah, exactly. Super mm-hmm. judgy, getting super unnecessarily bitchy, you know, gossiping and like all that shit is, is my yeah. old self. That is just all the shit of me not feeling worthy and not feeling good enough and seeing other people, their light is like shining on me. And I'm like, Oh God, you know, I, I can be great and successful and, you know, beautiful on my own terms. Mm -hmm. I can see that. And then like, wait a minute. No, I can't because I'm too insecure. (laughs) Mm. So it's definitely, I've definitely been there, done that. Yeah. Do that. I'm there, you know? Yeah. Because, right, because it's, it's an evolution. It's a constant. We're never going to be done. No. Right. Yeah. And speaking of that, how does the term wounded healer hit you? I, I mean, I love it. I yeah. think it's, yeah, it's such a beautiful, it's tragic and it's poetic. It's so, such a beautiful term. I think that most the people in the world that have a story it is because they've been wounded 
mm-hmm. to some degree. I mean, that's where the greatest love songs come from, yep. the greatest poems and plays and movies and, you know, rap songs. Like it's all, it's all usually based on some really real, really real shit. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think when you are able to tell your story in an eloquent way, when you find your own eloquence, when you let yourself, it's not even like, I don't even think it's something that's really you need to find. It's just like when you yeah. let yourself step into your own eloquence and your own grace and your own authenticity and your own beauty and your own like path of radiance, mm-hmm. I think that you become in essence like that wounded healer, you know? Yeah. There really is such an ethereal quality to the way that you speak. And it's funny because sometimes when I talk to clients, I realize I have to still have my feet on the ground because sometimes all they hear coming out of my mouth is rainbows, unicorns, puppy dogs, everything's great. And I'm listening to you thinking about a client who might be like, oh, yeah, you know, she's just everything's great somewhere up in the clouds. But I am so with you because this is possible, you know, and I I guess, you know, for the people who might be listening who are like, oh, this is too much rainbows and unicorns. What's keeping you from believing that there is beauty in all of these things? Because I think it's it's fear that gets in the way, right? Definitely. I mean, I'm like a naturally positively charged person. Same. You know, and I think that that's where the rainbows and the sparkles and the unicorns come from because that's just like in the fairiness, like that's Mm -hmm. just my natural vibration. Yeah. But if you, you know, you can't really judge a book by its cover because I have a really, I have a really big story and Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of trauma that has happened in my life. And I think that to whatever degree your pain is, you know, it's really up to you to choose your attitude about how you're going to look at it. And like, Mm -hmm. I have also been down that path of like, I effing hate life. Yeah. Like I effing hate myself. Like I'm ready to not be here anymore. Like, and that didn't feel good. Right. You know, that attitude did not feel good to me to, believe that it, this is all pointless. Right. Right. And, and, you know, people say life is short and it is, it is short, mm-hmm. but it's also very long. We spend a long time here. And when you're sad and numbing from personal experience, you're just trying to pass the time. You're trying to make the time go faster, yeah. you know, and you're waiting for that day where you're going to start again. You're going to start Mm-hmm. in a better place and you're going to restart this great program that's going to take everything away and that's not how that's not how i believe like your healing process works like you have yeah. to be willing to start within mm-hmm. you know and then everything externally will eventually support you but if you start externally i think you have such a bigger chance of failure and for people right. like me who have like really old patterns of unworthiness when you fail it's not just like a little failure it's like an epic fail right you know and I right. would punish, like, punish myself for months and weeks you know for for failing but right. really setting 
myself up to fail and then failing. So I think it's just, you know, if you want to look at life as being really shitty because of what has happened to you, you can by all means, you know, choose that. And I guess I would say more than anything, like, I'm sorry if I'm going off right now. <laughs> no, go on. I was Preach. just, um, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, instead of, I don't know, feeling like you have to be happy or feeling like you right. need to fight your sadness. Like I came to this conclusion, you know, last year when I was in a, a really dark you know, place before um, I was, I got um, pregnant with my second child and I was like, you know, fuck this, like fuck happiness. Like mm. why am I constantly chasing this feel good, you know, feeling. And then when I'm in a low, I'm like fighting it as well. Like, how do I get through this? How do I get over it? And instead of going for either or, like, why not? Why don't we just choose empowerment? Mm-hmm. Like, why can't I just be empowered by this state of being, you know, mm-hmm. by whatever's passing through emotionally, whatever is passing through physically, emotionally, spiritually? Can I just be with it? And can I be empowered by it? That's really given me a lot of fuel for, you know, becoming like even more creative, like diving deeper into rhymes and rhythms of my words, but also like how I live my life, you know, how I walk, how my feet move, how, Mm. you know, like how my eyes look and how my words come out of my mouth, you know? Mm. And Arthur agrees. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And something you said that I wanted to just add a little a little piece to this this idea of choosing how you're going to take what life throws at you. I remember my mom always saying that, like, you know, you can choose how you feel. And I remember being so angry at her because when she was telling me what I heard it as was this invalidation of what I'm actually experiencing and I should just pretend to be happy all the time. And so I like that you said, it's not this, it's not this idea to just pretend that everything's okay or push the sadness away, but it's to use that in conjunction with the fortune, the fortune and the misfortune, putting those together. And that creates empowerment. Yes, definitely. And it comes back to, you know, becoming emotionally literate and becoming, you know, familiar with the cycles of your body, mm-hmm. you know, the cycles right. of your emotions and being present with the unexpected. And mm. a lot of times I also think, you know, parents and certain friends and certain people, they don't have time for us to yeah share our emotions or they don't know how, or they don't know how to hold space yeah, for other people to be emotional. So they want to shut it down, mm-hmm. you know, as soon mm-hmm. as possible, or they feel like guilty because they don't have an answer that's going right. to make you change or feel better or get into a state that they can deal with, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's also, you know, one of my core themes and what I do here in Copenhagen and, um, with, you know, women's groups and, you know, also in, in my poetry and my words is that we really all can benefit from learning how to hold space for each other, mm-hmm. you know, and hearing each other out and not taking other people's feedback 
or their stories, you know, personally. And that's really hard. Yeah. And you have to really hold your heart in like a super golden place to do that. But that requires, you know, presence. It requires a lot of a belief in yourself and like a presence to be able to hold space for other people. And like knowing that we don't have to fix anybody. Right. And like, we don't have to have the solutions even for our most beloved ones to feel better that the magic really happens is when you hold a loving space for someone to just Mm -hmm. get whatever they need to get out of their system or to let them sit in, in their system, you know? Right. And, and, and that's really, I mean, that's a magical experience. And I mean, you're describing real empathy and where people screw up empathy is like you said, taking it personally somehow, not not being able to put your own story aside enough to sit with somebody else and see them clearly. Because so often, you know, we've got our our lenses on that that our story says that things are a certain way. But if somebody's telling you, no, 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 this is how I feel, you have to put your own stuff aside in order to really understand that. Yes. And you're so right that a lot of the a lot of the struggle comes from the desire to fix and make it better, partly because we care and we want people to feel better, but also because we're uncomfortable sitting with people's pain, because then that means you have to look at your own pain. Exactly. Exactly. You have to feel it within your own body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have to be willing to feel it. And like, it's, um, it's definitely a fascinating thing for me. And my perspective I love holding space. I feel like I am a great space holder. And I think one of the reasons that is true is because when I hear another um, person's story, my mind doesn't, doesn't default to the judgment. My mind defaults on like, Oh wow. Like this is how another person interprets life. Yeah. You know, like this is like, just a collage for me. It's just like fuel for even a broader and bigger imagination of what is possible, you know, because mm-hmm. we're not all having the same experience. And that's what makes it so cool to right. have a human life is that all of us truly have our own stories going on that collide and weave and paint strokes on this bigger book of life of us. Well, that's what I find so fascinating about psychology is that we're all having these really specific experiences, but at the same time, they're the same because that's that that's how we can, you know, do any sort of psychology because human behavior is so predictable and human emotions are so they're finite. There's a finite amount of emotions, but there's infinite ways that they can be expressed and experienced. Exactly. Totally. And like the predictable stuff is the textbook stuff, right? You know, it's the stuff that we're taught and programmed to live like whatever kind of normal um, standard life. Like that's what makes us more predictable. It's when we go outside of these boxes Mm -hmm. where we become unpredictable and imaginative and, you know, we become more like risky and life becomes something, something different. 
and our interactions become more interesting and they become more alive. And like the discussion and the conversations take you places that you haven't been before. Right. That's the magic. That's the magic. Yeah. Well, as we kind of wrap this up, Tanya, is is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure to share with listeners today? I would just say to everybody, like, take care of yourself. You know, I know Mm -hmm. it's not always easy, but give yourself a little love today, whatever that means to you, for you, um, just a little more love, a little more self-love. Mm. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was great. This was really, I mean, you got me really going. So <laughs> yay! thank you so much. Oh, I love it. Thank you. You're so welcome. I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Tanya. Afterwards, I feel like I was just sparkled with unicorn fairy dust. I hope you feel the same way. One interesting tidbit that Tanya shared with me after we stopped the recording is that Thug Unicorn is not her, but Thug Unicorn is her protector, which I thought was awesome. She's like, who would want to mess with a Thug Unicorn? And we're both like, nobody, because she's a badass. So thank you so much again, Tanya, for being part of Conversations with the Wounded Healer. Thank you as always to Andrea Klunder and Edwin Ruiz at the Creative Imposter Studios for editing. Thank you to Liam O'Donnell for the awesome album art photo and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. To find more information about Tanya or any of our other guests, you can go to www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time.